Welcome back, everybody, to the next edition of the Patina Podcast. Uh, we're really excited today. We have um, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Tuggle joining us today from the Mississippi Highway Patrol. And uh, just super excited to have him join us today. And uh, can't wait to dive into the conversation. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, hey, I'm a proud Mississippian, uh, Marine. Uh, served in the first Gulf War, uh, received several medals, and I had a very, very good Marine Corps career, just four years, but um, I was a very successful career. Uh, going to combat would change your outlook on life. You know, I had a conversation with God uh, when I was in combat, and uh, I asked God, I said, if you get me through this, I promise you I do something different in life. And uh, he got me through it, and I fulfilled that promise, and my next career was in law enforcement. So I've been in law enforcement for 28 years, started out as a police officer, and 24 years as a, a state trooper. So uh, currently I'm serving as the director of the state's training academy, largest training facility in the state. And uh, we train anywhere, every law enforcement officer that's look, every person that's looking for a career in law enforcement has walked through these doors. Wow. And how long have you been doing the, the, um, the training academy? I've been a training academy for 22 years. 22. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so wow. I've seen just about every personality in, in mankind. <laughs> Yeah. And so have you, have you always been um, kind of an educator, a uh, leader, educator in life? Uh, I've had some success, sir. Uh, of course, you know, um, part of that success, I can say it, it goes back. Of course, you know, single parent mom brought us up. She was very stern. But this is what I tell everybody. Uh, the key to my success was uh, I started out early in life losing. I mean, seventh, eighth grade high school football team. We lost more games than the Cleveland Browns. We were the original. <laughs> We were the original put your bag over your head, come to the stand kind of people, you know. And uh, But losing early in life, uh, uh, it, it developed me and, and actually made me the person I am now because when I started winning in life, I did it respectively. And um, and I went over and shook that other guy's hand because I knew how he felt because I've been there for years. So, uh, you know, it wasn't about jumping in the end zone, slamming the ball, beating the chest. Uh, that's immaturity. It was going over there letting that guy know, hey, look, you're worthy competitor. Thank you so much. So I think losing in life has, has, has set me up for uh, the, the successes I've had in life. Wow. that That's uncommon. I mean, uh, we don't hear a lot of people talk like that today. We don't talk about um, hearing uh, failure being a thing that has led to success. And, it remi- you know, it reminds me of we just watched The, uh, the Last Dance, Michael Jordan's uh, Netflix documentary, ninth, yes. ninth series. It's, uh, it's incredible. And I, I remember one of the things he said – was um, he made the shot. So I'm paraphrasing terribly here, but he made the shot because he took so many that he missed. You know, he yes. did, didn't stop. Um, yes. Well, on, the, on, on that note, Matt, um, you look at today's generation, you know, early on in my career, uh, and I can talk a little bit about that later, about what a law enforcement officer should resemble. And me back in 1992 joined the profession i didn't know much about the police officer which in turn led to respect and today uh because of social media and all the outlets and all uh, law enforcement officers have allowed uh the public to know a lot about their personal life therefore develop opinions which in turn you've lost respect so these students that are coming to the door now a lot of them uh what they call it participation trophies mom and dad always set it up where they can win and for the first time in life, and they walk through these doors, I tell them for the first week, you're going to lose every day you're here. 
And I do that because they're so accustomed to winning for the first time that they deal with adversity, most of them quit. And in my profession, uh, tapping out is not an option. So we need to learn that on the front end. And that's how we start to, to build and mold these kids. Of course, they're going to win while they're here. We're not going to set them up for failure, but they don't need to know that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, 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 and with that, do you, uh, what kind of um, information do you give them? How do you teach them to be a leader and survive failure? How does that work? Well, uh, coming in, first thing we, we have to look at, and you got to look at today's generation, you look at the current culture uh, or the climate in the country. And the majority of that is centered around race and uh, race relations in the country and all. So walking through the door, we're a very diverse academy. And I was at a, I was giving a speech about race relations in our profession. Um, and one of my classes also do what is called progressive thinking. I asked the students, and it should be automatic, uh, an answer should come back. I asked the students, in our profession, which one is worse, a racist or a liar? Now, you're going to have several of them going to try to answer the question because they're going to look at me as being a black man. They're going to try to answer it because they're thinking this is what he wants to hear. So they say racist. That's not what I'm looking for. And then you have some that will say racist because they'll put personal feelings in it. Like you may have your, we call it, when you come through this academy, uh, Matt, we, we eliminate color. Either you're light blue or you're dark blue. I'm considered dark blue. So okay. our dark blue and our light blue recruits, our dark blue recruits will put personal feelings in that, this, that question and their answer and say racist. But the answer I'm looking for is liar. You can be a racist and be in our profession, but you can't be a liar and then be in our profession. Our profession is built on integrity. And the Marine Corps defines integrity as uprightness and character and soundness of moral principles, the quality of truthfulness and honesty. I'm always wary of the guy that walks in the door. Uh, Sir, this recruit's going to give you 120%. I call that a clue because he's promising me something that he can't achieve. He can only give me 100%. And I will not accept anything less than that. So he's trying to convince me that when he's giving me his 50 or 60, that he's actually giving me 100 when it's, when it's not. So I, I make a little, little note about that. Be leery of the guy that says he's going to give you 120%. Yeah. And I, I have a problem with leaders that accept anything less than 100%. It's either you're all in or you don't get in. So we talk about interrogate walking through the door. And then what we do also is, is when they come through the door and I ask about that, I say a liar. Can I, can I go back to the O.J. Simpson case for just a second? Yeah. Okay. Mark, Mark Furman, um, it, it was obvious that F. Lee Bailey had already determined that he was a racist but there was nothing to indicate that he was a liar. So the case was still moving forward and it looked like OJ Simpson was going to be convicted. They had to turn Mark Furman into a liar. So they used the racist card, the racism card to do that. They asked him, have you ever used the N word to describe people in the African-American community? Well, instead of Mark Furman asking the question truthfully, he lied. And they had evidence that he lied. So finding the bloody glove, fingerprints on the, the Bronco, all of that now became in question. Long as he was a racist and he showed no, you know, uh, integrity issues, he's fine. But when he became a liar, he's done. Yeah. 
So that's yeah. the question we ask these guys you come in here. The only thing you're going to have with the races that's in our profession is that at the end of the day, we won't be at Applebee's or Outback having a beer together. Right. That's just not going to happen. Um, but they can still – both of them are bad, don't get me wrong. But right, no. our profession – and it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a provocative question. Which one is worse and a liar is worse? Remember this here. This is what got Mark Furman. Mark Furman was concerned with pride. Pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right. And all he had to do is do what was right. And that case would have unfolded just the way it, it, it started. I love that. That quote, uh, pride is concerned with who is right and humility is concerned with what is right. That's, yes. that's beautiful. That's, yes. that's perfect. So these lessons that you're teaching, are, are they applicable outside of law enforcement, outside of military? How, how do they apply to people leading a company? Uh, sir, the exact same thing. And, and what I tell the, one of the things we talk about uh, that you can apply is, is we talk about bearing and bearing is favorable impression in carriage, appearance and personal conduct at all times. Your manner should reflect alertness, competence, control and confidence at all times. The other thing we talk about in, in our line of work that is very important and you say can go into the business world is uh, that other trait we talk about is called courage. And, and, and Hannah, courage is that, that mental quality that recognizes fear of danger or criticism. That's the biggest one there, but enables a man or woman to proceed in the face of it with calmness and firmness. Your style of leadership should not be an illusion. Fear doesn't have any special powers unless you empower it by submitting to it. That's what I try to tell these guys coming through here. And as law enforcement officers, we can't fear uh, uh, the unknown because the majority of the time we're going to walk into an unknown situation. So uh, that's why I try to tell those guys. Now we go back to that criticism thing, uh, Savannah, um, men, and this is, is, this is the hardest thing. I tell these guys, don't be afraid to shed tears. Shedding tears is a sign of courage. And what an individual, especially men, uh, what they're saying to the rest of the world by shedding tears is I don't care about the criticism. We're going back to criticism work that's going to come from small minded people. Great minds discuss ideas. Small minds discuss events. Average minds discuss events, but small minds discuss people. And we teach these guys to say, if you ever in a conversation somewhere discussing someone else that's not there, have the courage to leave that conversation. And guess what the conversation is going to turn to once you leave? You. Well, who the heck does Hannah think she is? But at least you had the courage to take it off of Hannah, who wasn't there, and put it on your shoulders. So we teach that courage when they come through here to stand up and say that's wrong. Yeah. So this is really interesting to me. So do you look at you look at the emotional side of being a human being as as something of courage? Yes. You you so and I'm looking at kind of your history and your past and your your involvement with St. Jude's Research Hospital the Blair E. Batson Children's right. Hospital, all those things are, are also, they align in your mind as a part of courage. Is that what you're saying? Yes, sir, absolutely. And, and you, you know, we talk about that and we talk about courage. Um, the, the hardest thing, now we, we understand about fear, but the hardest thing for most people is, is to deal with criticism. Look at, look at this here. This is what we talk about in life. This generation that's walking through the door, their entire, well, I'm not saying their entire life, the majority of their life has been centered around likes. That's what it is. So right. they are accustomed to someone liking them. Uh, remember, like will bring, you, you don't want anybody to, to, to like you because like will bring you disappointments. 
it, it will. What we want people to do is respect, and respect will bring you results. Right. So get away from the likes and move toward respect and results. That's what we work on, and that's what we try to uh, focus on with these kids coming through the door. All right, now I have a question for you given that. Do yes, you sir. use social media, sir? Uh, I'm a LinkedIn guy. Okay, all right. So, so how do you deal with that in your own personal leadership style of, um, of being on a social media platform? and uh, wanting to get your message out there. Do you see a, a, a kind of an incompatibility with not caring about being liked and wanting to make sure that your message is heard? Um, I do a lot of positives. Uh, okay. One of the things that I have to exercise is restraint because uh, what I'm seeing now, Matt, and, and with LinkedIn, you know, you're always going to have who you are and underneath who you, you're, you know, what do you do? And the biggest disappointment for me is to see police chiefs, uh, law enforcement executives that are serving in, in, in leadership positions, um, openly using vulgar language toward the president of the United States. And it could be 42, it could be 43, 44, 45. Um, you don't call the president of the United States, regardless of who occupies that office, a POS. You, you don't yeah. do that because what you're doing is you, you're, 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 you're creating credibility issues for all of us because you have police chief underneath your name and our code of ethics, you just, that's a direct violation of paragraph two and three of the code of ethics. And, and what that says is I will keep my private life unsullied as an example to all and will behave in a manner that does not bring discredit to me or my agency. Yeah. That's in the code of ethics. So if I'm out there, calling the, the, the president, chief law enforcement officer in the country, uh, just above the attorney general, I'm using vulgar language. What does that say about my credibility? And if one person in our profession, if one person use it, we all have to pay. So where do students learn that? They learn that here at the academy. Yes. And we make them pay for other people's mistakes. So when they leave here and they make a decision, in the back of their mind, they said, the decision that I'm about to make will affect more than just me. Are there more people like you, sir? I, I asked that question thinking, you know, everywhere we see on the media, everywhere we see on um, social media, TV, it, it's all a lack of uh, appreciation for the value of words and the value of a, a man or a woman's integrity. And it feels like there is no recovery if we're to believe what we see all around us for um, integrity and for looking around and seeing leaders as being a both fallible, but also uh, a value. Uh, how do you see that? We have given our emotions complete, as you were, we have given our emotions complete control over our actions. And a lot of these executives are allowing their emotions to dictate their action. That's a recipe for disaster uh, when they do that. And as leaders, they have to have the courage to suppress that emotion. And if they don't, well, then that's what bring us to where we are. So what do we do here in, at the academy? When these students come through the door, they're from all walks of life, from South Mississippi, North Mississippi, to Central Mississippi. Um, they don't know each other. It's all about I. That's the first thing we eliminate. It's more third person. They require themselves as disrecruits. So we have to eliminate that. And... We sign them bunkmates. 
we talk about diversity, Matt, which is very important. If, uh, and that's part of the issue I think that we're having in law enforcement now. We have academies that, that are not specializing or putting an emphasis on, an emphasis on uh, diversity at the training academy. If yeah. you have an academy where your entire staff is black and a, a recruit class where the whole class is black, how do you think those students are going to deal with the white citizens in the community? And you switch that role. Let about an academy that the entire staff is white and the academy class is all white. How do you think they're going to deal with the black citizens in the community? So you have to have diversity in entry-level training. Just had a student in here the other day. Uh, a black recruit was in here just the other day, dark blue. And that was an issue. His whole life, the city he's from is 98% African-American. And he was on the range. The guy was shooting great. Uh, one of the instructors doing a practice course come up to him and say, hey, you fired more rounds at this stage of fire than you did, than you were supposed to. If this had been for record, you would have gotten a zero. So I'm just giving you a warning. Well, frustration set in, and he allowed – these guys been controlled. They've been in a controlled learning environment for six weeks. So he didn't disrespect the instructor, but he went out there and started talking amongst his classmates and saying the instructor's racist toward him. And then it got back to me. The students were – got so they canceled him. He apologized and all. This happened last week. I brought him in office yesterday. And I said, you know why you're in here? He said, sir, this recruit pretty much knows. And I said, well, tell me why you brought this, race, this racist thing up by an instructor. You don't know that guy. I said, uh, if you really knew him, uh, he's nowhere even close to what you said. And he said, in his community, he was always told that if someone white calls you out, you're black, and don't call anybody, anybody else out, they're considered racist. And I said, well, what did you learn about that? He said, sir, that's untrue. He said, that instructor is the reason I sh scored what I scored. I'm a high shooter here. I said, yes, it was a knee-jerk reaction is what you did. You dealt with you, – you were hit with adversity, and the first thing you wanted to do was find an excuse and start screaming racism. I said, that's what's wrong with the profession now. What about the individual that was truly discriminated against? You just created this cry-wolf syndrome by using uh, – uh, making a false claim that you were discriminated against or that you were um, – um, disciplined or canceled because of racism. I said, I'm not going to tolerate that. And there goes that top shooter award. And I said, what did we learn today? And he said, sir, I have learned so much by being in this game. It has changed my entire life. I have learned to realize that in my community, I cannot listen to the people around me and become a product of my environment. So wow. it was a lesson learned for him. And he said that right in my office yesterday, tears rolling down his face, but we changed lives here. And that's been the focus of everything I've done since I left the Marine Corps. It's changed lives. That's incredible story. Um, and it, it seems like that person is never going to be the same again. And he you will never be. And, and you made a difference in his life. So how can we adopt that? Because it seems to me as a civilian that the military approach to things and this, the, the academy approach is to, um, I don't want to say tear people down, but get to the root of people. And, and and rebuild them, reconstruct them as better people, um, and, and more with more integrity. How do we how do we take those lessons out into the world? Because if if it's just the the academy and just the military that is doing this the right way, you're going to be facing and continue to face people that are you know recording police on their phones while they're breaking further laws, screaming at police and things like that, lawlessness. How do we apply these lessons to uh, what is being perceived as a continued 
more lawless society, if you could say that? Um, I would think it's going to take some knowledge. Uh, we have, uh, I had a, I guess you call him a chief deputy from Missouri. He's one of my classmates at the National Academy. He called me and he's having, they were having problems with their recruits following orders and only giving them 50%. And they said, well, he called me, he said, Thomas, I know you'd be the guy that I could call to give an answer. He said, we can't get these recruits to do anything. Um, you know, they, they're out running and they're, they're mile and a half. They're walking it. We tell them they need to run. They just, they won't do anything we say. And now I listened to how he presented that. And this is the first question that came to my mind. I said, uh, Eric, I said, do you allow your students to go home every day? And he said, we do. I said, there lies your problem. I said, every piece of discipline, every progress you made from the time they arrived that morning until three or four o'clock they leave, everything that you made just went out the window when you let them leave and go home. Now you have to restart in the morning and do it again. You're constantly spinning your wheels. You take away that liberty, you take away that freedom, and you keep in a controlled learning environment. All of the flaws will rise to the top. That's how we determine if these guys got anger management issues. That's how we determine if they got problems with women. That's how we determine if they got integrity issues, racial issues. All of those things, we'll see little signs of that. And it comes with knowledge. And knowledge is facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education. The academic or practical understanding of a subject. Now, Matt, this is the way I look at it, and, and this is how I approach uh, our students. You have Lexus, Mercedes, you know, you know, you have Infinity. They make great cars with outstanding safety features. Think about all the cars that had to crash to get to that point. Yeah, right. So I tell these students, um, it's not failure, it's experience. Remember the lesson, not the disappointment. Now, if you could go back and erase all the mistakes of your past, don't do it because you will erase all the wisdom of your present. So that's why we try to tell these guys, don't be afraid to make a mistake. If someone walks in the office and says, sir, this recruit has never made a mistake in his life, that means you've never done anything. That's, that's going right. to be my answer. Yeah. So I may not be the smartest guy in the room, but if by chance I am, you will never know it. Yeah, right. It, it, you know, it, your, whole, your whole philosophy is full of redemption. Yes, sir. It really is. It's about it, wherever you are in life, you can, you can learn and change and improve and become who you were meant to be. Um, it's got to be a real honor for, for um, candidates to come through, for academy trainees to come through and learn from you um, because you're, you're really just, you're rebuilding people into people, into human beings and who they should be. Mississippi is not having a lot of problem. I had a uh, general Bob Naylor. He's former commandant United States Marine Corps. He called me yesterday and we were talking about some issues, and he said, you guys have any rioting, any, any protest issues down there? I said, sir, we've never had it uh, at all. And he said, why is that? I said, well, first of all, I mean, we're in the South. We're a very conservative state. I said that, but our law enforcement uh, officers in the state have never lost that respect. I mean, you, you look at it, Matt, uh, I've, I've traveled the, the, the globe, literally. And my wife and I went to New York uh, late, late last year. And we're, we're just Southern people. We speak, hey, how you doing? Oh, like, well, we go to New York, don't do that. Because they look at you like, what are you speaking to me for? <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a different, different. I'm not going to say animal or anything, but it's just different uh, environment here. And, and I told the general, I said, we're not having that. I said, we're not having that because the way we treat each other, the way we, we respect each other. Um, 
we have guys, don't get me wrong, we have our own issues. Mississippi has got a nasty, nasty past history. Now, what have we done? We're not going back trying to correct the past. We're going back to learn from it so we don't repeat it in the future. We have the most diverse state law enforcement agency in the country. The Mississippi Power Patrol is the most diverse law enforcement agency in the country. We've had three or four, actually, we've had three African-American directors. So, and, and that's not, these guys were not promoted because of their color. They were promoted because of their ability. So all we decided to do was look at our past and let's improve from it. What's going on around the country now is, you know, certain, these other states haven't experienced what Mississippi experienced in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. They're experiencing it now. And it's yeah. a cultural awakening that they're having to deal with. They want to figure it out. But uh, this is a true story. This happened in basic class 208. Just let you know how long ago. We're at 264 now. So it was a guy. He was from northeast Mississippi, very rural area up there, you know, sweet potato of the capital, um, you know, farmers and all. And I had a guy from inner city Jackson, uh, just, a, you know, inner city guy. They had both arrived at this academy. And it was obvious walking through the doors that they did not like each other. So what did we do? We made them bunk mates. And whenever the light blue recruit from Northeast Mississippi made a mistake, the dark blue recruit paid for it. And out here in this Mississippi heat, it only takes five to 10 minutes and you're going to see your lung out in front of you. So Mm -hmm. we take them both out and pool of sweat sitting there. You don't know whose sweat belonged to who, but finally the guy from inner city Jackson looked over. He said, man, can we just work this out? And the other guy said, man, I've been wanting you to say this for three weeks. These people are trying to kill us. (laughs) They became best friends. And they got to learn about each other. They talked to each other where uh, the guy from Northeast Mississippi, whatever a project he was assigned, he always wanted the guy from inner city Jackson on it. And they became uh, uh, buddies. And they realized that they had more in common than they had differences. And when they graduated, the guy in Northeast Mississippi made the guy in inner city Jackson a groomsman in his wedding. That is a true story. I love it. So what's my point? My point is the individual you have the most problems with is the individual you need to spend the most time with because it's obvious you two don't understand each other. That's, that's perfect. Except if you're going to get married to that person, right? Would you agree? <laughs> well, I've known my wife, I'm 50. I'll be 51 this year. I've known my wife for 45 years. We've been together wow. for 33 years and married for 28 years. So wow. uh, it's safe to say she's my best friend. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. It is. So, uh, but you know, that goes, that's a whole history in itself. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it seems like your life is, uh, it fits what you've decided to do with your career. You're the right person for the job and you're training up young men and women and, and sometimes older men and women for a, an honorable profession and you're doing it with distinction. What What's next for you? Are you are you staying in this position for the next 10, 15, 20 years and continuing this service or are you doing different stuff? Uh, well, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> I know everybody wants to know. Uh, I'm going to stay here with just, uh, we got a new commissioner, a new governor, and uh, I'm going to stay with them at least another two years to just help with the transition and get some things accomplished here at the Academy. And uh, what I also do in my spare time is I do interventions, drug and alcohol, uh, interventions or, 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 or adolescents that are having behavior issues. I work with a, a guy in Atlanta, Cunningham Interventions. I've been working with him since 2012. And, um, you know, that's, that's very rewarding to, to, to go and, and, and encourage someone to seek treatment for 
any type of substance abuse or behavior issues. So uh, I, I continue to do that and uh, dealing with the culture we're, we're, uh, we're currently experiencing. I'm going to stay on that category, stay in that arena, and uh, still teach leadership across the country and, and just helping, uh, you know, executives out and, and professionally developing their, their subordinates. Fantastic. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel, it's been a real pleasure to have you on today and talk to you. Um, everybody listening at home, we're going to have links to his um, his biography as well as his LinkedIn page so that you can get to know him a little bit better. I tell you, whatever's in store for you next, the world will be blessed to have more leaders like you to um, really focus on uh, core values, integrity, courage, uh, crying. I've uh, We haven't had anybody on the show talk about crying being an act of courage. And I tell you what, it makes a whole heck of a lot of sense to, to wear your heart on your sleeve like that. And women love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, well, thank you, sir. And we will we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Savannah. Yes, thank, thank you. you. So nice to meet you. All right, y'all take care. Bye.